Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. The Huddle Podcast is supported by members like you and sponsors like the DNAV Insulin Management Program. The DNAV Insulin Management Program utilizes FDA-cleared DNAV technology to autonomously titrate insulin doses for people with type 2 diabetes, making insulin therapy safer and more effective than ever. Learn more at d-nav.com. Hello, and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm your host, Kirsten Yale, the Associate Director for Research at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Today, we bring you a conversation with two leading researchers in diabetes technology. Dr. David Klonoff and Dr. David Kerr have spent their careers identifying and developing digital and technology solutions that have changed the lives of people with diabetes. They are authors of a recent study that introduced a new practical metric, the glycemic risk index, for people who use continuous glucose monitors. Dr. Kerr and Dr. Klonoff join us today to talk about the practicalities of this emerging metric and share how it can be used by clinicians to quickly assess a person's glycemic risk. It's a fascinating conversation that will leave you with a tool to leverage CGM-generated data and produce improved health outcomes for your patients. Dr. Kerr and Dr. Klonoff, welcome to the huddle. Back again. Thank you. (laughs) Well, we are so happy to have both of you on the show this time. And, you know, really, you two are two people that have sort of led or paved the road, I should say, in diabetes digital technology, really making diabetes digital technology meaningful to the people that use it. Before we jump into this and before we jump into this new super relevant study you guys just put out, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our audience. Okay. I'm David Konoff. I'm an endocrinologist at Mills Peninsula Medical Center in San Mateo. I'm also a clinical professor of medicine at UC San Francisco, president of Diabetes Technology Society. I've worked with Dr. Kerr for many years. I would say one of our most important attributes is we both share the initial DK, so we have a good working relationship. I'm David Kerr. I'm a UK-trained physician, but I've been in America. Gosh, it's coming up for nine years now. I'm ancient enough to have been involved in really early studies of continuous glucose monitoring. In those days, it was all about type 1 diabetes, but increasingly, my interests are now moving into the type 2 diabetes and actually across into the area of people who don't even have diabetes. More to come on that out there, see. But it's a real pleasure to be here, especially with this topic, which I think is a game changer in our world of diabetes, digital health and diabetes care. I couldn't agree with you more. I do think it's a game changer. And I think it's kind of exciting that we get a chance to talk about it now, as I think we're going to really start seeing this, you know, hearing about it more over like the next two to three years, and hopefully we'll see a spike. Just to set the scene about the topic today, though, I mean, continuous glucose monitoring is a red hot topic. Mm -hmm. 
you know, if you go to the meetings, if you open the journals, if you open the newspapers, if you go on to social media, you'll see increasing amount of conversation with continuous glucose monitoring. And others, including ourselves, have done a lot of work trying to understand the way, the best way to interpret the data, because we all want to do the best for people with diabetes. And we have our existing metrics, the time and range, of course, glycemic variability and all those things. And they're incredibly useful for all stakeholders. But one of the things that's been missing up to this point is what we as doctors do on a daily basis. We see people with diabetes to help them solve problems. I mean, we like it when there are no problems, of course, but our bread and butter is problem solving. And I'm excited about this new measurement glycemia risk index because it fits in with clinical practice. It highlights problems that we can potentially do something about. But I'll let the other DK describe how we got here and what this GRI measurement is really all about. David. Thank you. Well, I've felt for a long time that the type of information that comes out of a continuous glucose monitor report is complicated because there are so many different dimensions to look at. There's different uh, ranges of glucose and people can spend a certain percentage of their time in those. Essentially, we use five different ranges. There's the average glucose, which can be represented in different ways. There's the amount of variability. And currently, when a doctor is presented with results of a continuous glucose monitor tracing, they're given a lot of numbers a lot of normal and abnormal ranges, and it can be challenging to put this all together and basically answer two questions that I think are most important. One is, how's this patient doing? And second, if they're not doing well, what should we do about it? And when you've got all these numbers, I felt that one way to handle it would be to combine them in a certain way to create a composite metrics. And we do this in many areas of life. Newborn babies get an APGAR score, which is a combination of different areas of the baby physiology. Uh, in the intensive care unit, we use the Apache score. We even use something as common every day as a Yelp restaurant score when we're going to choose a restaurant. So it seemed to me that we should put everything together into one big composite score. And the problem that we faced, well, there were two things. First, on any given amount of performance, what's considered good or bad? How do you sort it out? But even more importantly, what is the relative weighting of different features? For example, we know that hypoglycemia is bad. Hyperglycemia is bad. Is one of them worse than the other? Okay, if it is, how much worse? And each doctor probably has their own opinion about this. And I felt that the best way to approach this general idea of what's important would be to do a survey of experts, just like if you have beans in a jar and everybody gives an opinion, you come out with something that pretty much everybody can live with. So working with a team of leading endocrinologists, including Dr. Kerr, we came up with a protocol where we would obtain 225 different continuous glucose monitor tracings, and we would show a certain subset of those to 330 international diabetes clinician experts. Some of them were adult endos, pediatric endos, nurse practitioners, some doctors that weren't endos. And they came from all six continents and they had to be experienced with continuous glucose monitoring. We didn't just 
invite anybody, but we went through a group of 90 world-class diabetes experts and asked them to identify doctors they worked with who were experts. We ended up with these 330 from all six continents, and we showed each of them five tracings, another five, another five, 15 altogether, and asked each of them, how would you compare these? Which is the best, which is the worst, from best to worst? And each of our tracings was reviewed by 22 experts. And looking at what they liked and what they didn't like, we were able to rank the tracings from best to worst. Best was zero, worst is 100. Uh, like many things like cholesterol, glucose, low is good, high is bad. So they were in percentiles. And then we used a form of machine learning to incorporate all the different components that went into each score and come up with the best fit. So what we created in essentially was a model that says based on the different features of a continuous glucose monitor tracing, this is what the experts would score it. So the result is a number that's a composite of all the features that go into one's assessment, everything that goes into your brain, based on what 330 experts would say. So if you're a clinician and you don't have much experience interpreting this, now you can look at the number. It's like you've got the brains of 330 people looking over your shoulder, and this is the kind of score it gets. It's got uses for the clinician, has uses for a researcher, and it also has uses in population health. Just to make the point, because this is not DK and DK coming up with some <laughs> crazy idea. This is the consensus of an international group of people who know what they're doing. People who look at CGM, interpret CGM, deal with people with diabetes in terms of helping them understand CGM. So it's been a colossal effort to put this together, but it's needed because the aim is to broaden access to the understanding of CGM information and what to do with it. So our hope is that the GRI will become an everyday metric, not just for the super specialist, but also for primary care, course for the association, other people involved in diabetes care, and why not people with diabetes themselves? Because one of the nice things about this is that you can monitor change or progress over time using a very simple measurement. And to me, that is the essence of good medicine, you know, taking in complicated information, which is often fragmented, it's episodic, but taking all of this in and coming up with a plan to help improve the lives of people with diabetes. The GRI, to me, is an empathetic measurement. It's something that people can use to improve care. Yeah. Currently, when the clinician is confronted with the results, it's really complicated for any given two-week period. We condense it down into a single number. I was once looking at a tracing with a leading endocrinologist. We looked at the numbers and he turned to me and said, well, how's this patient doing? You've got the numbers, but you've got to be able to put them together. And usually when a clinician looks at a two-week tracing, it's a real big job to interpret the last two weeks. Almost gives the doctor a headache. And if the patient says, well, you know, I've been doing this every two weeks for the last 12 weeks, can we look at some others? Occasionally, they'll look at a second tracing, but after that, it's just too painful. And they just say, well, let's look at the most recent ones. So here the patient may have done six two-week sensors over the last 12 weeks. And the doctor looks at the most recent two weeks, the other 10 weeks essentially throws them in the garbage can. And sometimes a doctor might 
among all those numbers might have their favorite number because you're given seven different types of numbers. It's even more numbers, but there's some overlap, it's seven different types of numbers. And very often the doctor will say, well, I think this one's the most important. And they throw the other six in the garbage can. So you've got all this complicated data coming out of a continuous glucose monitor and you need a way to interpret it. And I don't think it's enough to just say, this is my favorite number. I'm going to only look at this. And it's not enough to say, I'm only going to look the last two weeks. We can plot the GRI over a time period. It's a grid, so it's two-dimensional. And you can put a dot where the person is doing, and then they're doing differently, another dot, another dot. You can see, are they getting better? Or are they getting worse? You can also use this for population health. You can have a group of people at a given time, and they each have their own GRI score. You've got the grid. You put all the dots on. Then you use some treatment, whatever your treatment is. You come back later, you want to know, is the treatment working? Is it helping? You get a different population of dots. You can see, did the dots move in a good direction, a bad direction? Did they move at all? So it's useful for the patient and it's useful for someone who's in a population health setting. Probably the simplest way is to think of the GRI as a single number summary of the quality of glycemia because it focuses on both the hypoglycemic and the hyperglycemic components producing an actionable score and a graph that people can look at the visuals. So might be a number person, you can look at numbers, but you can also, if you're a right hemisphere person, you look at the graph or combine both. And this way can be used by both clinicians and researchers. And eventually, of course, where this is going to go is it's going to be used by artificial intelligence to allow predictions of changes and approaches to therapy and what that's going to do with GRI. And that's really going to be exciting. And that's the game-changing aspect of this measurement. I had a video conference just before this one with an investigator who has a good treatment for diabetes. And the investigator showed me that by plotting the GRI, he was able to show that as people partook of the intervention, their GRI was improving. And it's a good way to keep track of, he already knows if people are following the intervention. Now you can have a single simple number that tells you if the patient is responding. And you can also sort out, well, maybe these kinds of patients is where we should emphasize or these kinds of patients. So I think it's really useful for following a population. In the original study, we also compare people who are on multiple daily injections of insulin or pumps, closed loop. And you can see the value of the GRI in these subgroups. And that's helping us move along the road to more personalized or precision diabetes care. I also have to say a word about time and range because many people will say, well, what do we need a number? We have a number. We have time and range. So the history about this is we used to use hemoglobin A1C as a single number, but it had some flaws mainly related to hemoglobin production by the body. When you want to know your average blood sugar, you don't care, let's say, how much hemoglobin you've got. You care about the glucose. Another problem was that it tended to not really show you the highs and lows, but sort of focused on the average. But uh, when a CGM was just starting to be used, people noticed that the time and range was proportionate to the A1C. And as they were trying to move people off of A1C onto a CGM-based metric, they thought, well, let's use time and range. It's probably appealing because it's proportionate to A1C. So there's this movement beyond A1C. They landed on time and range. The problem with time and range is it's one of seven numbers that 
are provided on a CGM tracing. And when you focus exclusively on time and range, which many people do now, and they think they're being really modern, you're still ignoring the other metrics. And the analogy I would use is a restaurant review. If you're a restaurant reviewer, you might well say, I'm going to judge the restaurant, how many stars I give it on the basis of the food, just the food. Nobody would say that's a terrible thing to do because food is very important at a restaurant. But I would say it's not everything. So imagine a restaurant where zero is the worst food in the world, four is the best food in the world. You come in there and it's pretty good, not the best, but pretty good. You might say it's three-star food and you might say, all I care about is the food. I'm going to give this restaurant a three-star rating. But let's say you're open to other features of the restaurant. This three-star restaurant happens to have excellent service. It's very clean. They have excellent parking, excellent reservation system, excellent menu. Everything about it is really excellent. You might well say the food was three-star, but this is a four-star restaurant because so many other features were excellent. Now you come back to a different restaurant with three-star food, but all the things I mentioned were terrible. Service is terrible. It's dirty. Everything is terrible, terrible. You might say, well, the food was three-star, but overall, this is a two-star experience. So two restaurants where the most important feature was three-star, and yet the overall experience was very different. It turns out the same thing happens with time and range. You can have two people with the same time and range, but if everything else, like when they're not in range, is close to in range, that might be so good that you really like the tracing. And if everything else was really bad, you might say it's a pretty bad tracing. Two tracings with the same time and range would actually have a very different GRI score. And we showed that with our population of 225 patients. There were patients who had the same time and range. We picked 50% and 70% as arbitrary cut points. And some of the people had very different GRIs because even though the time and range was at a certain level, that is not the same as saying the glycemic quality. So I think that to the extent that the physicians and the clinician's opinion has value, that they really know what's, how a patient is doing, that the GRI reflects that and it's a useful tool. Yeah, this is not a replacement for what's already out there. I mean, I want to emphasize that this is a new metric to be used in addition to the existing metrics. And that's a really key component. And because it's so new, dare I suggest, Kirsten, that we need some help. <laughs> um, because we need people to start using uh, the GRI. And David, if I remember correctly, it's free to access on the Diabetes Technology website. Yeah. Is that correct? Right. When we did this project, we took no money from industry and we told the 90 co-investigators, if they worked with us, we would put it out for free. We told the 330 clinicians, it's free. So it's free for anybody to use. There's no patents. Anybody can use it. And as David said, if you go to the website of Diabetes Technology Society, which is diabetestechnology.org, there's a blue bar across the top. At the very right side of it, there's a button that says Glycemia Risk Index. That's our calculator. So you click on that and you can just put in the times that a person was very high, a little high, a little low, very low. You put those in, it calculates your GRI and it also plots it as a little dot on a grid. Plus, there's a blue bar on that website for downloading Excel. You click on that, you can get an Excel spreadsheet, which allows you to introduce multiple patients on the same Excel spreadsheet. And at the very bottom, there's a little tab for time. And when you click it, 
if it's the same person at multiple times, it'll put a little arrow from the first, the second, the third, the fourth reading, whatever. But if it's all different people, you wouldn't click the arrow, but you can see the entire population, your population, all displayed on this grid. Yeah. So it's like, if possible, members of the Associate of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists, I, the listeners, um, to take advantage of this free offer, <laughs> but actually, so no seriousness, to try this. Yeah. Because we want to accumulate a database, a registry, whatever term you want to use, of people who are using GRI and using it over time, because we can then start to get into a relationship with the smart people in Silicon Valley and elsewhere who are in artificial intelligence and then start to develop this sooner rather than later. So we do need some help. Hey, ADCES members. The Connected Insulin Delivery Devices and Clinical Applications of Data Certificate Program is free to you. Explore the benefits of Connected Insulin Delivery Devices, like Connected Insulin Pens, and the data that they can provide. Register today at diabeteseducator.org forward slash certificates. Okay, I think this might be a good time for me to pop in because I feel like I've had two big brains on here for 20 minutes that have shared like just this amazing amount of information. And so I'm going to try to summarize, but if I'm going the wrong direction, either one of both of the DKs here, if you can let me know. So I did get a chance to play around with that tool and I loved it, right? Great. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. And I will say I'm going to go this direction that you are both talking about with the machine learning, artificial intelligence, predictive analytics. I love it. But I just want to back up and just think about the practicalities of the clinician, right? In the clinic when they're working with their patient. So thinking with that clinician hat on, sitting with the person with diabetes, um, plug in those numbers. I would say in that moment... The clinician is, yes, you get this GRI number, which is super valuable, right? And I think, like you said, it takes all of the biggest brains in diabetes care from around the world and can maybe validate, right? Like you might not work with numbers like this all the time, but you can kind of look at somebody's time and range and say, a great clinician or a great diabetes educator is going to look outside of those ranges, right? And say, huh, what's really going on here? You don't always know if you're really making the right decision or really thinking, going in the right direction. And hey, this tool in that moment can validate it, can validate where you're going. That's valuable, but that's just the start. Because what I started hearing you guys talking about was really collecting the data and in collecting the data, not only for your patients over a period of time, but for a large group of patients that we can start to get a really big picture about where these shifts or the variability is taking us. Am I on the right track? You're absolutely, you're straight down the middle of the right track. (laughs) I mean, living with diabetes is really hard. It's really tough. And I don't know anyone who enjoys it. There are so many demands and sometimes it's just chaotic. And so trying to know where you're going with your glucose is a very difficult journey to take. And so what the GRI is, trying to bring is some empathy here. It's saying, okay, all the good bits we get, and that's to be celebrated. But the other pieces that need some action, the doctor and the person with diabetes can form a relationship because they're sharing this information where the metric is saying there's too much very low or too much very high or there's you know, equally bad split there. And so they can work together to plan the intervention. Now, at the moment, 
is this human plus human interventions. And as you correctly alluded to, the future is a hybrid of human plus machine planning ahead and then predicting where this response is going to go. And that's why we like this tool, that it offers that new opportunity going forward. Well, and how do we make that happen? I mean, is it a call for more research to collect this data? It's because we do need to collect the data, right? Because we can't move ahead unless we get a large database that can then drive our thinking, yeah. right? I think that there's uh, two kinds of data that we need to collect now. One is the experience of clinicians using this. Ask them if it helps them to have this information that they can show a patient. Just like if you want to review a restaurant, would you just say, here's the food, or would you say, here's the overall Yelp score? That's the first thing. And then, as David was saying, it does help tell you, because it's plotted on a grid, whether your problem is that you're spending too much time too high or too much time too low. Time and range just tells you essentially good or bad, how much time you're good, how much time you're bad, but it doesn't tell you what's wrong when you're bad. So we have to collect some clinician data. Then the second is we have to collect some outcomes data to look at people who have good GRI scores, bad GRI scores, and see if the good ones people do well and the bad ones people do poorly. There are a number of researchers that are now starting to look at that who have collected long-term outcomes data and have been putting CGMs on patients the whole time. So we're gonna see pretty soon how it works for these researchers. My expectation is that once we have the first kind of data that we can bring together the authors on this paper, we had world-class authors from six continents, there were 90 leading endos. We can bring them together, most of them anyway. And they've told me that they want to write a commentary recommendation to CGM companies that this should be included in the AGP report. But we're not going to actually bring everybody together until we've got some data. So it's not just going to be, I think it's a good idea. I personally do, but it's going to be based on here's data. And because of this data, I think it's a good idea. And as the data starts to accumulate, I think the clinician experts will be very eager to recommend this. And I've heard from uh, at least one of the major CGM manufacturers that as soon as this report comes out, they'll add it to their report. Meanwhile, I mean, I think the association can help enormously here, Preston, because we want a lot of people to use this, as I said, over time. And this would be an excellent collaboration between the Association Diabetes Technology Society and people with diabetes. You know, that's a powerful troika, and that can deliver a significant amount of real-world experience with this technology, and that's something we'd like to facilitate to make happen. Yeah, we would love to work with some who are seeing patients and uh, figure out a way for them to use it and record their experience, their opinions. Yeah, I love that idea. And we should definitely follow up on that one over the next month or two and see absolutely if we can make that happen. I mean, I use it in my own practice at UCSF with all my patients. I show them their GRI, explain what it means, and they find that's pretty interesting. I think having feedback, that's a really key point here. This is a very democratic metric. And we actually want people with diabetes to also contribute to the discussion here, because we believe that people with diabetes like this, want to use it, achieve benefit, and that just makes it, you know, access to it will just explode in a good way. So it's really important that we hear the voice of people with diabetes with this metric as well. And 
we can make this happen, I'm sure. I mean, your organization can make this happen. Yeah, well, we are the organization of people that do make it happen, right? That's one of the reasons I'm here. I love working with this community. And I did want to bring up one important point. This is a conversation that comes up so often when we talk about device technology, algorithms, predictive analytics, and where this is going with diabetes. So often I hear from the DCES or the Diabetes Care and Education Specialist, well, this erases my job. No, no. Right. And I frequently say, but I love to hear your take on it. I frequently say, no, this is actually going to allow you to have reach, right? Because your job never goes away because you are the behavioral experts that are going to keep feeding these algorithms and making them better. But I would love to hear how you would respond to concerns like that. Well, I look at this as a tool, like a thermometer. It tells you how well someone is doing. And then if you're the one that's providing the treatment, now you know how they're doing, and then it's time to tell them what information they need. But this is not a treatment recommendation, so it's not software in that sense. Uh, it provides information so you can select the right treatment. Yeah. Your members are not going to become slaves to the machine. Right. Okay? Right. This is not going to replace them. You know, this is not brave new world or brave new diabetes world revisiting. It's actually an opportunity. More people need to access continuous glucose monitoring. And there's a whole other discussion for another podcast about the use of GRI or GRI-like metric in non-institute people. From the educator's point of view, as David said, GRI is the thermometer of diabetes care. And it will tell you that something needs to be done. It's not going to tell you what needs to be done for that individual. Down the road, the AI and machine learning can give you a an expanded toolbox of what might be appropriate, but you can never take away the human-to-human interaction, the relationship between the professional and the person with diabetes. GRI is a tool that's going to cement that relationship, I believe. I find that the treatments for diabetes are different for many other diseases. With most diseases, you put in some treatment. If it doesn't work, you give a bigger, a larger amount of it. You keep giving more and more until you have enough, hopefully no side effects. But with diabetes, very often a little more treatment causes a problem in the opposite direction. And there are even times when actually you have too much at certain times and too little at other times. So it's more complicated than for some other diseases. The educators know how to apportion the treatments that are needed, but this is a good indicator that helps them understand where the problem is. And then through their knowledge and assessment, they can figure out which modifications to recommend. I loved what you just said earlier on. It's just another tool in the toolbox, right? But a pretty powerful tool. It also is adaptive. That's the other thing. I mean, one of the worst things about living with diabetes is this expectation you go on treatment day and you continue forever and we don't know what's going to happen. That's a terrible approach. The beauty of this measurement is that it can alert people that a change needs to be made sooner rather than later. It allows for some prediction. And so it's getting into the personalized medicine, precision medicine. And that's the way we need to go in diabetes care. So for both of you, and we're getting closer to the end of our time here, but I do want to get one last question in. For research going forward, how can we partner to advance research with GRI? Like, where do you envision us going in a partnership with that? I see this working with the educators. The educators generally are clinicians. They're seeing patients. And I think that if clinicians are given an opportunity to use this, we can see what they like, what they don't like about it. 
and make some adjustments and eventually mold this tool into something that's maximally useful when we get the input from these educators. And then once that's the case, then it's ready to be put onto the AGP report and then everybody can use it. But your organization has the most people that are dealing with these CGM tracings and helping people understand them. So I think that if the GRI as it is, is useful, that's good. If it needs to be presented in a different way, that's also good. But the core of it, it's a useful number. And with input from educators, we can then know that it's ready for prime time, so to speak. And then we can go to any CGM manufacturer and say, this is what clinicians want to see to help them get the most out of the numbers that your sensor is providing. The other thing is that I hope it becomes mainstream in clinical trials of new pharmaceuticals because it's going to point in the direction of the rate of change following the intervention of the new drugs. Glucastic comes along. You want to know what the impact is on the risk of hypo and hyperglycemia because they are crucial measurements for anyone living with diabetes. So I think it needs to become a mainstream metric in future clinical trials for sure. It also should be a metric for educational interventions because when we try to help people solve problems for someone living with diabetes, rather than just thinking we've done a good job, which is a very nice feeling, and let's see the evidence. And I think the GRI is a tool that could be used here, showing the improvements over time. That's one of the beauties of it for educational as well as traditional or biological interventions. So that gets back to what you mentioned very early on when we were talking that from everything that you've described here, it is the input of the DCES that could truly advance this technology forward, right? Yeah, it's supposed the autonomy of the educators, but it also provides a metric to look at how well we're all doing when we interact with people with diabetes. There's nothing wrong with that. We should be brave enough to embrace that. And maybe I should have asked this early on. I don't know why I didn't think about it. Why did you do this? Like, what was the spark or what was the impetus that said, here, we really need this metric? What was that spark? I've felt for many years that something's missing in the AGP report. I would see this report with lots of numbers flying at me. And I've always been a believer that composite metrics have value and took a lot of planning, but working with David Kerr and a few other leading diabetes experts, we came up with a protocol. Then we had to obtain some tracings in order to do this study. And we were able to get a hold of 225 tracings. Then we had to find experts who would sign on to be uh, co-authors and recommend the survey to their colleagues. And then we had to uh, sort of recruit the colleagues. So the whole project took three and a half years, but I just felt that something was missing. And at Diabetes Technology Society, we have the capability of reaching out to so many people. Another doctor who doesn't have as many contacts might say, I'll bet if a whole group of people got together, the composite opinion would be different from what we're seeing, but they might not have access. But as an organization, we have international reach. So we were able to put this together. My reasoning was, but I'm just curious. <laughs> Someone takes the trouble of wearing a device attached to their body continuously for long periods of time and is producing reams of information. Then 
the onus is on us to look at this and not just accept that there's only one way. And that information is very insightful into your past an individual's physiology. And the onus is on us to really kind of look at new ways of doing that. We are actually doing that in the pre-diabetes at-risk populations with CGM. But for the purposes of insulin treatment and type 1 diabetes, intensive insulin therapy, there's a lot of information out there. And I think we've always just scratched the surface of what wearable devices can tell us and can help us work with people with diabetes to improve their lives. Kirsten, you mentioned precision medicine, and mm-hmm. GRI really fits in with this idea. I think we are headed for a precision medicine world where lots of different information is collected and it's assembled in a certain way. And it's going to be more than glucose. There'll be cardiovascular and neurologic and positional and maybe orthopedic. A lot of data is going to be put together. But since we're going that direction, it's a shame to say, well, here's a big chunk of information let's throw in the garbage can, which is what's happening today. So this is a number that can be combined with other physiologic measures like EKG, other things, for an overall hard picture. That's not a substitute for a specific individual problem. If your overall score isn't very good, then you've got a problem. The doctor can still, what I say, look under the hood, that is, look at the individual JGP metrics. Like David said, they're not going away. We still have them to look at. But if you want just an overall opinion, person's doing pretty well or not doing pretty well, you want a number that really reflects how they're doing. That's what GRI can tell you. And just think of it, if you're planning a behavioral intervention, a pharmaceutical intervention, wouldn't it be great to know early on whether that's the right thing to do or maybe there's some risk attached to it? And that's how these measurements that can change over time and they're pointing to the less well aspects of the CGM profile. That's going to flag up concerns and actionable concerns at a much earlier stage. And that's, I think, the beauty of this type of approach. And I love that you brought up this approach and precision medicine, because even when you think about that, like precision medicine, some of the biggest benefits are on population health, right? So I have one tiny platform before I turn this right back to you that, you know, we can only get these numbers if more people are wearing CGMs. And I think that that's something that, I mean, I don't know what we can do, but I think it's something we really need to start shouting from the rooftops. More people need to be wearing CGMs, right? And for clinicians, I highly recommend this book, (laughs) The Diabetes, Digital Health, and Telehealth. David and I and one other person, Alyssa Weitzman from Harvard, are the editors. And there's a lot of good information on what you can do with CGM data. Well, we will definitely, what we can do is put that in the show notes. It's a great book. David shared it with me. I think in our first podcast, in our first discussion. So I told, I think it's a little show notes, David. <laughs> that was a first book. Yeah. This was our first book and this is our second book. Oh, there it is. Okay. We will put both of them in the show notes. You know, I wanted to just say a quick note to both of you that I know you had a few diabetes care and education specialists as authors on the paper with you. And I will let you know that right when this was coming out, it was one of those DCESs that reached out to me and said, Kirsten, this is such an important paper. You need to be aware of it. You need to be on top of it. You need to get the word out. So hopefully that's what we are doing right now. I'm so glad you included a number of DCESs on that paper for their expert input. And I would ask you both now, as we do say goodbye, do you have any last words you want to leave for our audience? My last word would be, I look forward to working with your organization and your members and 
hopefully we can come up with something to make CGM data more useful, more understandable. I would just say that the key audience for GRI is actually your membership at this moment in time, because they can really help advance this and other metrics and other wearable devices for people with diabetes. They're key players in digital health. So maybe the DCES can democratize diabetes or help democratize diabetes, right? Correct. That's what the D in your acronym stands for. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. This was an incredible conversation. Thanks ever so much, David. Great to see you as always. Thank you, David. Thank you, Kirsten. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Huddle. Notes and resources from today's episode are linked in the show notes at diabeteseducator.org forward slash podcast. And remember, being an ADCES member gets you access to many resources, education, and networking opportunities. Learn about the many benefits of ADCES membership at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. The Huddle Podcast is supported by members like you and sponsors like the DNAV Insulin Management Program. The DNAV Insulin Management Program utilizes FDA-cleared DNAV technology to autonomously titrate insulin doses for people with type 2 diabetes, making insulin therapy safer and more effective than ever. Learn more at d-nav.com. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.